العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنة إلى يوم الدين All praises due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all the Prophets of God and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day the topic which I will attempt to deal with this evening is that of the duties of a Muslim and these duties may be divided into a number of different spheres or levels or areas first we may divide it or divide them into a Muslim's duty to God and then a Muslim's duty to the universe the society that he lives in to himself to the people around him in looking at his duty to God and to understand these duties we have to look in what Allah has said himself concerning it when we as Muslims attempt to define what are the duties of a human being we do not sit back and reflect philosophically what should be or what we think should be no we go to the source of revelation and from that source we determine what in fact is required of us the sources of revelation for a Muslim or two the Quran the final book of revelation and the Sunnah or the actions and practices of Prophet Muhammad may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him which were divinely inspired by God this is the basic source of revelation for a Muslim so in defining the duties of a Muslim when we go to the Quran and we begin to read it we find that the very first order which God gives to man there in the second chapter verse 21 Allah says Ya ayyuhan nas wa'budu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqun O mankind worship your Lord who created you and those before you in order that you may be conscious of God conscious of your duty to God so the very first commandment in the Quran one which is directed to mankind as a whole 
and those who would hear or would hearken to this commandment would be those prepared to submit themselves to God the believers this first commandment or this first order is to worship our Lord and when we look further in the Quran in the 16th chapter the 36th verse we find Allah saying وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ Verily we have sent to every nation on earth a messenger commanding the people to worship Allah and to avoid the worship of false gods and further in chapter 51 verse 56 we find Allah saying وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I have not created the jinn or mankind except for my worship we see the Quran emphasizing this as being the primary duty of a believer because when we say the duty of a Muslim we're talking about the duty of a believer one who has submitted his will to the will of God and from the statements of the Prophet Muhammad may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him we find one which was narrated by one of his companions by the name of Mu'adh ibn Jabal in which he said while I was riding behind the Prophet وسلم, on the same donkey he asked me O Mu'adh do you know Allah's right over his servants and the rights of the servants over Allah I said Allah and his messenger know best he went on to say Allah's right over his servants is that they worship him without sharing their worship with, with anyone or anything and the right of the servants over Allah is that he not punish whoever does not commit this sharing which is known in Arabic as shirk I asked the messenger Muad went on to say O messenger of Allah should I not give this glad, these glad tidings to the people? He replied, no. Do not give them these glad tidings, lest they depend on them. Mu'adh didn't pass on this statement of the Prophet Muhammad until he was on his deathbed, based on the advice of the Prophet Muhammad But before dying, he felt you know, this was a piece of information which the Prophet ﷺ had revealed to him and he knows that the Prophet also told him that he had to convey whatever information he was given so he decided to protect himself from the wrath of God from hiding knowledge in, in the general sense 
he passed on this information. And the idea here, what the Prophet Muhammad was saying to him, is that people should know their duty to Allah, but they should not think that by merely committing themselves to the ritual of worship, that this will provide for them salvation. This is why he discouraged Mu'adh from telling the people that they may assume from it, the ignorant amongst them may assume from it, that merely going through the acts that we have designated as being the acts of worship, that this would be sufficient for them to enter paradise. But the point here is that the right of God over man, as the Prophet Muhammad said, is that he worship him without sharing that worship with anyone besides him. And in Islam, in Arabic, the term for worship is ibadah. This term comes from a root word, abd, which means a slave. So what it is talking about is a, a type of servitude wherein man frees himself from servitude to the creation, from being a slave to his boss, his leader, his king, or anything, anyone in this life, and submits himself as a slave only to God alone. This is the basic concept of worship in Islam. And to put it in a general sense, it involves doing whatever pleases God and it also involves avoiding whatever displeases God. This is very simple terms. We do whatever pleases God and we avoid whatever displeases God. And this, what we're talking about here is submission of the human will. The will which God has given us to do what we know to be right, what He has commanded, or not to. We submit it to God. When we do that, we enter into a state of worship. And this submission of the will is something which is not new to Islam, as taught by Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, because it is very clear from both the Qur'an and the statements of the Prophet that what he brought was not a new religion. It was only the final chapter in the revelation which God had sent to mankind from the time of Adam. So the concept of submission of one's will is one which is universal in the message of the prophets of God. And we find even in the Gospels, despite the, the distortion which has come over them, 
we find Jesus teaching his companions to pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your will the will of God and Jesus is also quoted in Matthew 7:21 as saying none of those who call me Lord will enter the king of God the kingdom of God but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven none of those who call me Lord will enter the kingdom of God but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven the will we find Jesus himself saying I cannot do anything of myself I judge as I hear and my judgment is honest because I'm not seeking my own will but the will of him who sent me this is John 5:30. so what we hear is Jesus speaking of submitting his will telling people that they will not enter paradise unless they submit their wills this is the essence of Islam the submission of one's will to God and this is worship this is the first duty of a Muslim the second major duty is a duty to God by way of the messenger because just as Jesus was reported to have said that no one comes to the Father except by me his way the way of the messengers is a way which is required for all those who seek to submit their wills to God to pass by a Muslim is required to follow the way of the messenger of God because his way was based on revelation he was sent as an example not only did he bring a scripture which was revealed to him but he demonstrated how that scripture should be applied by explaining the details of things which were mentioned in general in the scripture and by acting, living the requirements or the teachings of the Quran in his day-to-day -day life when one of his wives Aisha was asked about his character she told the people who asked that his character was the Quran the scripture whatever was in there which was commanded by God to do he did and we find in the Quran Allah saying in chapter 33 verse 36 إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةِ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ 
that it is not for a believer, male or female. If Allah and His Messenger have judged a thing, that they should have any choice in the matter, in their affairs. If a judgment has been given, as Allah says elsewhere, مَا أَتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Whatever the messenger has given you, has commanded you to do, you should do it. And whatever he has prohibited you from doing, you should leave it. This obedience to the messenger is a second duty of a Muslim. He must obey the messenger of God. And that obedience is not because of anything supernatural or different from a human point of view in the way of the Prophet. Because the Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, was a human being. A man. No more than a man. However, his distinction lies in the fact that he received revelation from God. This is what now makes him deserving to be followed. So there is no personality cult in Islam. In the sense that the Prophet, the final Prophet becomes elevated in a way which is not befitting. You know, as he said to his companions, do not be excessive in your praise of me. As the Christians were in their praise of Jesus, the son of Mary. I am merely a slave of God and his messenger. He emphasized that. So the key is in the message. What he brought. And this is why Allah says also in the Quran, Whoever obeys the messenger has obeyed Allah. So this is why we obey him. We obey him because in obeying him we are fulfilling our duty to God, our obedience to God. What this means in terms of worship for a Muslim is that he does not seek to worship God in ways which were not taught by the Messenger of God. Very important principle. This is the principle which protects the religion of God from deterioration and change. That it maintains its purity. Because when you look at what has happened to the peoples before, you look at what it was that Jesus brought, what he taught. And how in time after him, those teachings became distorted. He called people to the worship of God and people ended up worshipping Him. Worshipping Him in ways 
which have nothing to do with what he brought. They created a new religion. Things were added and added and added and added until you had a pope and, you know, wearing robes and carrying symbols and the cross and all these different things which became Christianity which cannot be attributed to Jesus. This is because of a principle of innovation where people innovated. They thought to do things which they thought would make the religion better, more convenient or whatever. They made changes, made changes until they ended up with something which was different from what Jesus himself brought. Now in Islam we have a principle which if people follow Islam prevents this from taking place. Wherever people are aware of what Islam teaches then Islam maintains its purity. When they become ignorant of Islam and what it teaches they end up following just cultural practices, what their parents did, what their parents' parents did, etc. Then they deviate. Because it is the nature of people to modify things to their own convenience. So if people are not educated, not aware of what the religion teaches, which protects the religion from change, then you will find change. So this principle, the principle of obedience to the Prophet. And this is throughout the Qur'an. I quoted a few verses. There are many, many verses. From the beginning of the Qur'an to the end. Emphasizing to people the importance of obeying the Prophet. Doing what he told. Of avoiding what he prohibited. And we find the Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, saying... In no uncertain terms. مَا تَرَكْتُ شَيْئًا يُقَرِّبُكُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ إِلَّا وَأَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ I did not leave anything which would bring you closer to God, to Allah, except that I commanded you to do it. There was nothing which was pleasing to God, which we say, Whatever is pleasing to God is worship. When we do what is pleasing to God, we are doing acts of worship. So he said, I did not leave anything which would be pleasing to God, which would bring you closer to God, except that I told you to do it. And this is why we find Allah saying in the fifth chapter, verse 3, This day I have perfected your religion for you. Completed my favor upon you and have chosen for you Islam as your religion. This day I have perfected your religion for you. Completed my favor upon you. With the final messenger, the message was complete. There was nothing which needed to be added. And this is why. Following this principle, Islam has remained in its essence as it was 1400 years ago, as it came in its final form, unchanged. Something which cannot be said for any of the earlier 
revelations or practices which are attributed or may be attributed to the earlier prophets. This is the u- part of the uniqueness of the final message of Islam. And the Prophet Muhammad had also said, "Man Whoever introduces something new into this religion of ours, it will be rejected by God. God will not accept it. It will not be acceptable to Him. You see, and it's on this basis for a Muslim to understand what is his duty. How does he go about worshipping God? He chooses the things which have been approved by the Prophet. The things which the Prophet did. He goes in the way of the Prophet. Anything which is not in that way, he leaves aside. He rejects. And this is why the correct attitude of Muslims towards the celebration of the birth of the Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, is that it should not take place. Very simply. Celebration of the Prophet's birthday is innovation in the religion. It is changing the teachings which the Prophet brought. He did not celebrate his birthday. He did not teach others to celebrate his birthday. His companions did not celebrate his birthday. This is not their way. The celebration is found in Christianity, in Buddhism, in all the other systems. We find the the founders of these various systems, their birth is celebrated. But in Islam, as correctly practiced, there is no celebration. Similarly, we may go through all of the various practices that we find amongst Muslims today and analyze them to determine what is acceptable and what is not by putting them in front of the Quran and the Sunnah. If they are taught by the Quran and the way of the Prophet, we say, this is Islam. If they are not, we say, this is not Islam. We don't accept it. When we go on to the duty of a Muslim to his fellow man we find the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, saying كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَمَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ each and every one of you is like a shepherd and each one is responsible for his flock every human being is over or in charge of somebody someone some job or something he has some area of responsibility and he will be asked about that area of responsibility 
Whether he is the leader of a nation Responsible for the people of that nation The male head of a family Responsible for the family The female What we could call vice president of the family Who is responsible for the rest of the family The children etc However Whatever position a person may be in where they are in authority over others they are held responsible and they will be called to account for what they did so this is a primary duty of men to other men to fulfill their responsibilities their duties to their fellow men whenever they are put in charge of other human beings also we find the Prophet Muhammad may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him quoted by another of his companions Abu Sa'id al-Khudri as saying Man ra'a minkum munkaran fal yughayru biyadi fa illam yastati'a fa bilisani fa illam yastati'a fa biqalbi Whoever amongst you sees an evil should change it or stop it with his hands. And if he is unable, he should speak out against it. And if he is unable, then he should at least hate it in his heart. And that is the lowest level of faith. It is the duty of each and every Muslim to stop evil wherever they see it if they are in a position of authority then they must stop it with their hands if you are in a position of authority stopping with your hands meaning that you physically get involved and stop this situation if you're in a position of authority, it is not acceptable for you to merely speak out against it. You have to stop it. But if you're not in a position of authority, wherein you may be able to stop something by physical means, firing a person from a job, stopping your children from doing certain things, or your wife from doing certain things, then you can speak out against it. It's your duty to inform people that this is not correct. This is the principle which we know as enjoining the good and prohibiting the evil. And this principle is enshrined in the Quran in chapter 3 verse 110 in which Allah says, Kuntum khayra ummatin أُخْرِجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ تَعْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ You are the best, speaking of the Muslims, you are the best nation which has been taken out from amongst mankind. You are the best, speaking of the Muslims, you are the best nation which has been taken out from amongst mankind. Because you command the good and you prohibit the evil and you believe in Allah.
This is the fundamental quality. Along with belief in God, it is a firm commitment to prohibiting evil and enjoining good at all opportunities. And for sure, each and every one of us throughout our day finds himself or herself in a position where evil appears before us. And it is our duty to stop it or to speak out against it. And if we cannot do either, we should hate it in our hearts. This is an act of faith which is, which is required. If we don't feel anything about it, if evil is happening in front of us, we don't try to stop it or speak out against it, and we don't feel anything in our hearts, this is a sign that our faith is crumbling. It's a sign that we have reached the point either of no faith or of extremely little faith. These are the signs that when we look into ourselves, and it is important for us to look and to judge ourselves. You see, true, no Muslim can say, I know I'm going to paradise. To say that is to be deluded by Satan. Because nobody knows what his end or her end is going to be. However, one can look at oneself and judge whether we are on that path to paradise. This is one of the means. If we are the types of people who are actively, whenever we see wrong, we're trying to stop it, we're encouraging people to good, we're prohibiting evil, we're speaking out against it, this is just a part of our daily uh, existence, then we know we are on the path to paradise. Whether we will get there or not, as I said, we have no right to claim. Because no one knows what one's end may be. You may be on that path all the way to a certain point and you decide that uh, for one reason or another the things of this life become more pleasing to you than pleasing God and you leave the path. It can happen. We pray that it happens to none of us but we have to recognize that it is something which can happen to any of us. The third basic principle in terms of duties of a Muslim to his fellow man, Muslim or otherwise, is the conveyance of the knowledge that he has or she has. Whatever knowledge they have of Islam, it is their duty to convey that knowledge to others. We don't have missionaries. You know, people who, it is their job, profession, you know, they are trained for this particular job, their whole life is in this particular field. They're paid for it, etc., etc. We don't really have missionaries. Every Muslim is supposed to be a missionary. 
not just a missionary carrying the message to those who are not a part of the faith but carrying the message to those who claim to be a part of the faith it is their duty to convey that message to those around them the Prophet Muhammad may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him had said convey to others from me even if it is only one verse of the Quran that you know Allah has said in the 16th chapter verse 125 call to the path of your Lord with wisdom and good preaching command and Allah has also warned us of not conveying the message of hiding the knowledge that we have Allah says in the second chapter verse 159 Verily those who hide what we have revealed from the clear messages and guidance after having made it clear to the people in the scriptures such are cursed by Allah to hide knowledge is to earn the wrath of God the curse of God so it is a duty of Muslims to convey that message what we call in Arabic da'wah to convey whatever knowledge of Islam that we have to others related to that is also the principle of giving advice this could be considered the fourth duty that of giving advice the Prophet ﷺ had said ad-deenu nasiha religion is good advice and Allah had also said you know that uh, he has commanded us to advise people advise each other to be truthful to hold to the truth and to advise each other to be patient patience is essential for a person to get through this life so we need to advise each other to be patient and we need to advise each other to stick to the truth because with the workings of Satan and his companions in human life we find that falsehood is plenty is prevalent and it may appear very attractive those who seem to succeed in certain areas are those who steal, lie, cheat, etc, etc so it may appear appealing to us to want to take this path also success in this life however Allah warns us 
not to allow the prevalence of evil and corruption to blind us and to fool us because ultimately our responsibility to uphold the truth will be put before us we will be judged and no matter what a person manages to gain in this life by stealing or cheating etc he can't take it or she can't take it to their graves and certainly in the next life they will have to answer for what they did the fifth principle amongst the duties of a Muslim is one of unity in the third chapter verse 101 we find Allah saying وَاَتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا commanding the believers the Muslims to hold firmly to the rope of Allah to Islam and not to split their ranks it is the duty of Muslims to struggle as a community Islam though if a person is in a circumstance where they are the only Muslim in a given area they can still practice the principles of Islam however there will be certain aspects of Islam which they can't do by themselves for example if you die in an area where you're the only Muslim then there's nobody to perform a proper burial for you or to perform the burial prayer for you it's not to say that God is going to hold you to account you know and punish you because you didn't you weren't buried in the proper way of course your circumstance is uh, excusable if there is an excuse for you being in that circumstance you're not held to account for it however what this is saying is that there are certain aspects of Islam Islam because it covers all aspects of human life it means that Muslims are supposed to be united in a community either in an area in a country for example where Muslims are minority they should be united in a given area or in a country they should be as one in a country or if Muslims reach the state where the dividing uh, borders which have been introduced by non-Muslim forces satanic forces amongst them which have split them up into various nations etc and tribes if they're able to break these uh, divisions and reunite into one solid ummah again it is their duty to struggle and strive for such and on a practical level when it comes down to an individual Muslim a person who has accepted Islam for example it is essential that a new Muslim spend as much of his or her time as possible in the presence of other Muslims around other Muslims that they do not be off by themselves spending all their time around 
non-Muslims. This is a basic principle which the Prophet explained in a story or a parable in which he said that a good companion is like a perfume merchant. Either that companion will give you, the perfume merchant will give you some perfume, or at least you will get up and leave smelling good. Because you're in the presence where he's opened so many bottles of perfume, the aroma has come, you can smell it in your clothes. Whereas the bad companion is like the blacksmith who works the bellows, you know, the instrument in which he blows with it air on the, on the coals and the fire as he's beating the iron. Either some sparks from the fire or the iron that he's beating will get on your clothes and burn holes in it, or at least you will go away stinking of smoke. So you have to choose your companions well. No matter how strong you think your faith is, it is essential that you be around Muslims to help to protect and strengthen your faith. In the West, we say, if you lie with a dog, you must get up with fleas. You know, this is a natural product. Dogs have these little insects on them, they call fleas. If you lie down with a dog, you're going to get up. When you get up and walk away, you'll find yourself scratching, just like the dog was scratching with these fleas. Same principle, basically. Except the Prophet gave it in a nicer and more beautiful way. But it's the same principle. The people that you are around will affect you. Even though you might not be aware of them affecting you, they're affecting you. If you sit around people who are swearing all the time, cursing and you know, talking about corruption and evil, etc. Though you may be a person trying to think about God and so on, but you're around them all the time, eventually it is going like into your subconscious, whatever, and next thing you know you will find yourself, some of these words coming out of your mouth, you wonder, where did that come from, you know? This is, it's just a natural process. That human beings are made this way. That they are influenced by their environment very strongly. So it is very important for a Muslim, whether new or otherwise, to try to maintain around himself or herself an Islamic environment to the degree possible. We have also a general set of duties which the Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, specified in outside of those ones which I have mentioned wherein he said that the duties of a Muslim towards another Muslim are five this is specifically now for other Muslims and not talking about mankind in general that when he is greeted when somebody says to you salam alaikum that you must return that greeting this is a duty that if he is sick 
or she is sick, you go and you visit them. If they have died and their body is being taken to in a funeral procession to the graveyard and you come across it, you should follow the procession, join in the procession. If you are invited to their home for a meal, you should accept the invitation. And if one of them sneezes and says, Alhamdulillah, that is, all praise is due to God, you should reply, Yarhamukallah, that is, may God have mercy on you. These are some specific requirements which the Prophet stipulated. And all of these, when you look at them, you can see it all has to do with making the Muslim community stronger, you know, promoting feelings of goodwill, uh, concern, friendship amongst the Muslim community. The last of the duties that I'd like to mention, because man lives in an environment, there are around him animals, trees, plants, etc. He also has, a Muslim has a duty to the environment and to the creatures of this environment. Ibn Omar and Abu Huraira, two companions of the Prophet Muhammad both reported that he said that a woman would be punished in hell for a cat which she left confined until it died of hunger. She didn't give it food, nor did she allow it an opportunity to roam and eat of the vermins of the earth. She had a duty to that animal. And she would be punished in hell for not fulfilling that duty. This is a general principle. Islam prohibits us from killing animals for sport. You know, I know as kids, you know, we would, uh, if you saw a pigeon, you may take a slingshot, you know, to see who can knock down the pigeon. Right? This is something, practices I grew up with. But in Islam, this is prohibited. On a big scale, you know, people, especially from the West, like to go on safaris in Africa and, and India, etc., you know, and kill a rhinoceros or kill an elephant, you know, and then stand there with their foot on the head of the elephant holding up their gun, photograph is taken of them, and the head of the elephant or its foot or its tusk is brought and stuck in their room somewhere, you know, and this reminds them of, you know, conquering nature. This is prohibited. Prohibited. You're not allowed to kill any animal. If you kill an animal, you're killing it either to protect your own life, your life is threatened, or you're killing it to eat, you know, for your own food. But just to go and kill for sport, etc., this is prohibited in Islam. So we have a duty to look after the creatures that God has given us control over, has put us in a position of authority over 
He has submitted them to us. In spite of the fact that some of them are much stronger than us, much bigger, like elephants, etc., can outrun us like tigers and lions, you know, can swim in ways we can't swim, can fly in ways we can't. They have so many abilities which are superior to our abilities as individuals. Yet, Allah has submitted them to us. He's given us power to be able to imitate what they do. We are able to make submarines which go underwater, planes which fly, you know, things, tanks or whatever which are big enough to knock over their animals, whatever. He's given us powers over them. And we have a responsibility with that power to look after them, to protect them, to use them in a way which is beneficial to us. On the other hand, Abu Huraira was reported to have said that the Prophet Muhammad, may Allah peace and blessings be upon him, once said, a prostitute will be forgiven because on an occasion she passed by a dog near a well which was panting out of thirst. It was thirsty on the point of starvation. She passed by, saw it panting there near the well. So she took off her shoe and took off her scarf, tied the shoe to the scarf, put it down in the well, brought up water and fed this dog. And God, because of this act of hers, would forgive her for her sin of prostitution. This is the other side of the coin. I mean, of course we're not taking this as a general rule to say that, you know, uh, this is okay license, now anybody, you know, you're doing sin, all you have to do is go around and look for some animal to help and you're going to be okay. No, but we're talking about a general principle in terms of in terms of man's responsibility to the creatures around him. That his kindness to the creatures earns him the pleasure of God. Because in this same narration, the companions had asked the Prophet, would we get rewards concerning the animals? And the Prophet Muhammad said, in every living animal there is a reward. So, we have a duty to the animals, we have a duty to the environment as Muslims to take care of that environment. It is prohibited for us to just develop ourselves in such a way where we have no concern for the byproducts of our development, where we may destroy, you know, areas, lakes seas, the air, whatever, all of this is prohibited to us. And we would be held accountable before God for whatever damage that we have done to the environment. And, of course, damage to animals and damage to human beings, ourselves. This is one of the reasons why, for example, smoking is prohibited in Islam. 
Because not only are you damaging yourself, and Prophet Muhammad said, La darar, wala dirar, that you should not harm yourself or harm others. Not only are you harming yourself when you're taking cigarettes, smoking, but you're harming those around you. How many people are dying from what they call passive smoking? They're, they've lived, grown up in a family where people are smoking and that smoking affects them and they end up with cancer, etc. So, just in summary, we said that the duties of a Muslim may be divided generally into duties to God and duties to mankind and creation in general. The duties to God begin with his duty to worship God in the purest and fullest sense. That he submits his will to God alone. He loves the Lord with all his heart and all his soul. That he does not love any of God's creation more than he loves God. That is, love which causes a person to displease God but please human beings. This love is considered shirk, idolatry. We should never love anyone so much so that we would do anything for them. I know people we grew up hearing that, I would do anything for you. I mean, this is the classical line, you know. The man who is in love with the woman, he said, I will do anything for you. But no. In Islam, this kind of love is prohibited. It's prohibited. This is why God says in the Quran that our wives and our children and our wealth are enemies to us. So beware. Enemies, not in the sense that we're supposed to look at our wife now, you know, as, as an enemy, what's, you know, as an enemy living amongst us, right, and our children. Not in, in the general sense of any enemy, but in the sense that if we allow our love of our wives or our children or of our, our wealth to cause us to disobey God, then they have become enemies to us. That is how they become enemies. They have the potential for being enemies. Why? Because these are the areas where man tends to put all of his love. Wife, children, money, wealth. This has the potential of being the greatest of our enemies. Taking us away from God. So we have to keep our love 
under control because love is an act of worship that's what I'm trying to say that when we talk about worship in the Islamic sense it encompasses everything that we do everything that we do which is pleasing to God is worship everything we do which is displeasing to God is shirk or the worship of other than God it takes on different levels you know there's the obvious level where a person is bound down to an idol and then there's the other, other level we talked about where you know a person because of his love of another person disobeys God you know your husband says to go to the store and buy a fifth of whiskey because of your love for your husband though you know he's not supposed to be drinking you go to the store and you buy that fifth this is prohibited this is disobedience this is this is bringing the displeasure of God this is the opposite of worship of God and we said that that worship had to be in the form which was prescribed by the messenger of God because he came as an example God could have just revealed the book and left left it at that but no whenever he revealed a book he sent a messenger with the book the messenger was the guide to show the people how to implement the scripture so it is in an absolute necessity for a Muslim a duty that he worship God according to the way of the prophets of God may God's peace and blessings be upon all of them and then in the area of the duties to mankind we said that each individual is responsible for whatever uh, group or individuals that are placed he is placed in authority over he has a duty to them to fulfill his responsibilities trust has been put in his hand he has a duty also it is his duty to command the good and prohibit the evil wherever he or she sees it and we said it was the duty to convey whatever knowledge they have of the truth to those around them whether other Muslims or non-Muslims it was their duty to advise people to do good and to be patient it was also the duty to remain as a single body to work together to remove the differences between them this is Hajj this is the pilgrimage this is what we live when we go to Mecca for the pilgrimage or for Umrah this is what we're living we're living a circumstance where we are sharing with other people the same rights people from all over the world are coming and doing the same acts of worship to God we are no different from anyone else 
the only superiority God has said in the Quran is that of piety that no man is better than any other man woman better than any other woman except by way of piety and we said there were general duties of a Muslim towards other Muslims responding to greetings visiting the sick following the dead responding to invitations and also responding to those who sneeze and we said that as human beings live in an environment they're animals and plants etc they also have a responsibility and a duty to look after that environment 